brought to you by Prescient Investment Management. Informed by science. Guided by insight. Prescient Investment Management is an authorized FSP. Welcome to a winter edition of the Honest Money podcast. Uh, we're talking about the, the evolution or the history of investing, uh, especially in more modern times, I guess. I shouldn't say the history of investing because that, that's thousands of years. But, but the evolution of investing uh, fr- from, let's say, 100 or plus years ago through, through to more, more recent times. And then particularly nowadays, how, how are we using data and technology to, to, to kind of drive investing uh, decisions and, and whole, the whole investment process? Uh, definitely not my area of expertise. I'm, I'm very glad to have uh, Bastian Tachkeber, who's the Chief Investment Officer at Prescient Investment Management. Bastian, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Warren, for having me. Pleasure to be here. So, uh, Bastian, I think it's probably worth just, uh, just uh, you know, answering the the so what question. We, we're talking about the history of investing, but and and you know, for someone listening, they're going to go, why is that relevant? But I think, uh, you know, you know, for me certainly, just understanding that uh, the world of investments never stands still. You know, it it moves sometimes by the minute, uh, and and so you know, doing things that the way they've always been done. You know, for for example, how they were done 120 years ago. Uh, might be good in certain instances. So, so for ex- example, if you're building pyramids, may- maybe the way they've always been done, that's that's not a bad way to do things. But when business evolves, uh, technology evolves, uh, evolves, and and maybe the way information in, uh, uh, flows it evolves, then then I then I think it's important that we understand uh, the, the world of investing doesn't stand still, and maybe where it's been and where it's going. Yeah, that's exactly right, Warren, and um, it's a good point. We at present obviously strongly push uh, for a systematic investment approach. That's what we do. That's what we've always done for 25 years now. Um, but you're exactly right. So there's more information, ever more information becoming available every day. Buzzwords like big data, AI, machine learning are ever more pronounced. And it's just important to acknowledge that uh, yeah, you have to become smarter and smarter to keep up with the information flow and to keep up aiming to have that edge when it comes to managing money. And um, that's where we at present see ourselves exactly being at the forefront because we have always been subscribed to a very systematic investment approach. So, Sebastian, let's uh, let's just maybe shoot back a bit. So, so uh, kind of 100 years ago, we're sitting with... Uh, very big annual reports, um, maybe not so so thick as they are today, because uh, the compliance people hadn't gone crazy yet. Uh, but 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 we had accountants basically writing, uh, uh, you know, annual reports with maybe the CEO putting in a bit of a spiel at the start, uh, and and then we we would get our prices of 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 shares. Uh, most of us would get them from the newspaper, and the the professionals might have got them from a ticker, I guess, in in the old days. And then you'd have a bunch of oversized, overfed men standing in the middle of a floor shouting and screaming prices at each other. Uh, and, and someone's got to make an investment decision in, in that kind of craziness. And, and I guess that, that's how it started. That was the original stock exchange um, uh, way, way of doing things. It was pretty much that. Um, but I think what, what we see, if we go back all the way, let me go just back all the way to the 30s, um, that there was actually more science than art involved than you would think. So all the way back until the 1930s, 
we we did have the traditional old school method of managing money. That's like the Warren Buffett's becoming big, where they would aim to determine the fair value of a company by using fundamental values, exactly as you put it in the balance sheets. Um, and and that method is to some degree still applied today. So like some of our bigger competitors still go down that route, looking into balance sheets, trying to crunch the numbers, and and get um, yeah this old school method of managing money going towards working in their favor. Um, it was in the 30s, in the 40s then when we moved to William Sharp, more risk and return focused, like looking into bringing risk into the perspective. 1950s, we then moved into modern portfolio theory where we put uh, Harry Markowitz basically won the Nobel Prize for putting together risk and return and correlations in the mean variance framework. And then former French in the 90s, introducing risk premier. And nowadays we're talking about big data, AI and machine learning. So that's kind of like the evolution of the last hundred and hundred years, but it has actually been pretty scientific, if we're honest. So, so let's just maybe uh, jump j jump around a little bit there, because there's some interesting things that kind of evolved through this time. So, one of them was in the early days, people started out looking for return, and and it sounds like an obvious thing. You know, we we're just looking for growth. We want to buy things that have the ability to generate growth, but but there wasn't as much focus on. Um, if I buy this growth, how much am I prepared to lose? You know, what's the cost on the other side of that growth story? And and so, you know, in the early days, the, you know, it, it was, you know, you know, today it sounds kind of obvious. Risk and return are related, but that actually wasn't uh, ingrained in the investment world uh, in, in the early days. It was just about return. Get, where, where can I get the most return? Uh, and, and no one wants to lose money. So so they wouldn't have quantified uh, getting growth um, as as how much can I lose as well? Like, and I think it is important to understand when we're making investment decisions, we're not just looking at growth. You know, you you can you can look at uh, Bitcoin and say, well, gee, I can buy Bitcoin at whatever you know two, and it goes to a thousand. You know, that's amazing, but actually, it can go from two to zero. Um, and and so understanding that you know just looking at growth is is a, is often a very good way to lose money, and you have to quantify your decisions in terms of the risks that you're taking to achieve that growth. And that wasn't that wasn't uh, part of the deal in the early days. No, you're exactly right. I mean, if you if you go back to the thirties again, Graham and Dot discounted cash flow models. That is quite was scientific back in the days. But as you said, Warren, there is no risk featuring here. It's all about understanding. Is a company undervalued or is it overvalued? And if it's undervalued, you want to buy it. And and that was, um, yeah, that was a discounted cash flow method is still applied today. But you're exactly right. Risen, risk wasn't part of the story. And then it was in the 40s when, yeah, William Sharp, we, we still use the Sharp ratio, right? Um, he basically applied a scientific approach to putting risk and return mathematically into context. And and exactly that was happened. We just say like 10% expected return is not the same with a 20% risk as it would be with a 5% risk. So if I can 11% or 12 or 15% with no risk, that's awesome. But if I have to go through massive volatility to get there, it's not that great. And and yeah, and so so it all evolved um, in a pretty, pretty, pretty scientific way. And we find that quite interesting, but you, you are exactly right. Um, a lot of these things needed to be discovered through time. So, so now we we kind of accelerate uh, as I guess global stock markets get bigger. Uh, you know, uh, j just generally the the economies grow and and the, the concept of investing becomes more palatable uh, and and more well accepted everywhere. You know, now we see pension funds buying into uh, you know into shares and and uh, we, we go into big you know endowments and and big investment businesses are built uh, and and so the need to 
scar information, I, I would say is maybe the phrase, uh, becomes important because you can't just read tens of thousands of annual reports and prospectuses and uh, and and thousands and thousands of newspapers. Uh, firstly, it would take forever for for the, the annual report to get to you from Japan if you're looking at a Japanese company. Uh, and, and secondly, the volume of information that you would have to go through is just too big. So so we, we kind of jump forward to starting to use, uh, I mean, I, I don't want to say technology because in the early days, maybe it wasn't so much tech driven as as formulaic in a way where you, where you kind of start to say, well, uh, what can we do to exclude a bunch of businesses that we, that we shouldn't invest in, you know, whatever our philosophy is. Uh, and, and I guess that's maybe the, the I'm, I'm going to steal your thunder a little bit, but that's maybe the early days of, of systematic investing. It's starting to say, how do we, yes, identify investment opportunities, but, but start by getting rid of a whole lot of things we don't have to worry about, a whole lot of, uh, whether it's shares or bonds or, or investments that are just not in our universe, they don't suit the way we want to choose, uh, choose our investments. That's exactly right. And you're also right on the calculation. So that I think from a, if, if I look at it chronologically, we're probably somewhere in the 50s now, um, where we basically now start to understand, okay, you must exclude stuff potentially for also correlation reasons. Okay, so in the 50, Harry, Harry Markowitz, when he just developed modern portfolio theory, he actually wasn't he, he couldn't do these calculations with a calculator, you just were not sufficient, like it wasn't you didn't have a big computer to do the work for you back in the day. So it was a pretty cumbersome exercise to basically work out. You've got, let's call it 10 shares with 10 different risks and 10 different returns. And they all are correlated in different ways towards each other. So putting that together, I mean, you earned a Nobel Prize through that. Um, nowadays, obviously, exactly as you said, the, the topic becomes much more complex because tens of thousands of securities which we could put together in a portfolio in a smart way and um, many of them shouldn't feature but in order to get that you need to really really yeah apply proper math and you need as we think some basic machine learning processes and you need also the setup to deal with these big data sets so at present we are uh, going down all the way to have an integrated data science team within our investment team, just because we know, uh, yeah, the investment theory will continue to evolve. The evolution doesn't stop here, so it becomes ever, ever more demanding to to basically keep up with all of that. And for us, as as a team at present, we are, um, <laughs> yeah, we are subscribed to being on the forefront and and staying there. And 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 it's just needed to have a different. Yeah, profile of people and a different set of people to to achieve all of this. But yeah, so far we I think we're doing well in, in getting there. So so we, we, you're talking about correlation, and I think it's worth just explaining explaining that and expanding on it. So when when we buy a share uh, in a portfolio, what 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 we're interested in is the risk return profile of that share. So it's a we want to get paid for the risk that we're taking to to buy something that could go down, and the way we get paid for it is the potential return. At the same time, we don't want to buy ten shares that 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 might all be offering value, but actually will all go down uh, at the same time because they all happen to be in uh, affected, let's say, just by interest rates or, or or just by a particular cycle. So we're looking at investments that that will go up at different times and maybe down at different times. And and the hope there is, uh, you know, and this is kind of classic diversification. The, the hope is that one plus one gets you to two and a quarter. It's exactly that. So that's exactly what modern portfolio theory 
uh, says that if you're baking correlations, you can eliminate risks without actually losing expected returns. And that's the whole trick, um, but that is a numbers game, okay? So it's not an, that's exactly where art, uh, sorry, investing is not an art anymore, but investing becomes a science. So if I come combine three assets, the one goes up on a Monday and on a Wednesday and on a, on a Friday, and I combine that, and the other days it goes down, and I combine that with an asset which goes up on a Tuesday and a Thursday, I am smoothing my investment out, but they still both together go up at the same pace, but my risk is basically perfectly eliminated. So that's a very simple example, but um, and, and a simple example using two assets. If I have two assets, I can actually really work out how to weigh them to eliminate that risk. But if I'm looking at 10,000 of different assets, um, there are a lot of different combinations which you can create. And face it, one or two or three or four or five of these combinations are the smartest combinations. And it's impossible for us to put that together with our human brains. We need a machine to help us there. And that's where basically the science comes into play and where we can basically create portfolios which are less risky by but still yield the same expected return. So, so uh, I, I guess I, I've got to ask you the hard question, which is, uh, you know, if it's become this scientific and and this advanced, why is it that markets still boom and bust? That is a good question, but there's a couple of reasons for that. The first of, first reason I would I would mention is that we still have to go through economic cycles, and um, economic cycles will lead to different results for different um, asset classes, and we are not looking into perfectly efficient markets yet. So um, it's not that information is readily available to everybody in the market immediately. Otherwise, we would, wouldn't have that much of a boom and a bust cycle. And another important thing is obviously behavioral biases. So that's a big thing. That's again a reason why we want to do things systematically because we as human beings are naturally driven by fear and greed. If markets run, we are easy to become greedier and greedier and greedier and if markets fall we are quick to panic and um, we eventually even go into like neglecting an investment if it has fallen too much and we say whatever hopefully it will recover one day so very hard for us as human beings to cut losses and very easy for us to take profits early but cutting out emotion and really going going with scientific evidence with all the information you have at hand that's what we need to do so, so I think the important thing about something like this is that uh, you, you know you can refine your investment process, uh, and, and I think it's important to do. And you can keep building the, your data sets, and but but always understanding that there will be an element of of luck, whether it's good or bad, that that comes into this because uh, it's impossible, for example, uh, at the moment anyway, to forecast uh, you know a weather disaster that 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 could have an impact on grain prices that then impacts on inflation and, and starts a whole economic uh, kind of chain from there. Equally that, uh, you know, in, in, um, for now anyway, um, most investments around the world are, are still bought and sold by, by the people sitting in the chair, by human beings that are biological and not, uh, not uh, machines. And, and, and so, you know, we, we are impacted by these emotions and, and it could be anything from the way our sports team played on the weekend through to the, the good or bad president we've got or, or great weather. You know, I mean, we, we get impacted by, by winter and summer and all of those things. And, and so ultimately, uh, you, you know, I mean, I think it's important for investors to understand that you, you, you will, you will always do your best, I think, when you are investing money and, and, and kind of focusing on process and the way you do things is, is, is critical because it means you'll be 
be increasingly right more often than you'll be wrong. But there will always be the the, the element of of chance where in, you know the best investment decisions end up costing you money because actually just circumstances went against you know Putin invades the Ukraine that that's not that's not going to be in the valuation of a business you know that that's just going to be an event that comes and and it will have been obvious in hindsight but not actually obvious to anybody making an investment decision so so I think it's a key thing you know when, when someone's listening to this to understand uh, you know the, the 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 art and science of of in, of investing will always be there. You'll try. I mean, and someone like you, I guess, will focus on trying to make science, uh, you know, bigger impact on 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 investment decisions, so that the, the the ability for humans, the art part of it, to impact negatively will be smaller. But but eventually, uh, the the best will in the world. Uh, you know, if there are ten thousand bastions working uh, with, with the biggest computers in the world, they're on the other side uh, of a trade from someone you know who who just had a lousy day and and ends up starting a chain of things because they're emotional, not because they're rational. And, and I think it's a key thing in investing is is uh, for as long as human beings are somewhere at the wheel of of driving markets, it, it's never going to be perfect. And and that creates the opportunities, actually, I think, still to this day, where, where you know, if everything's known, there would be no opportunity, that things would be perfectly priced. Uh, and, and finding those price disc discrepancies is, is really the key to how you make money over long periods of time, allied to all the other things we've just spoken about. It's exactly that. So markets are not perfectly efficient, as you said, otherwise it would be pretty boring because the opportunity would be gone. But I also want to drill into what you said about luck. So yes, but there is luck and bad luck and good luck. But the reality is also, once you apply a scientific approach, you can understand the extent of which good and bad luck starts to play a role. And you can quantify a whole set of outcomes around your expected outcome, okay? So you don't have to just have a base case, a bear case, or a bull case. You can draw a whole distribution of outcomes around your expected outcome. And with that, again, you start to systematize and to scientifically back your analysis, and that just yields a lot of benefits. So you mentioned the example of Putin invading the Ukraine. It was impossible to foresee. Well, I mean, at least without any significant inside information, it's very hard to foresee that. But um, it's not the first time that we have an idiosyncratic shock like that. We had um, yeah, invasions or wars in this instance before. And we can see what that has historically had as an impact on capital markets. Is it good for which asset class? Is it good, bad for which asset class? And if you assign a certain probability to your investment approach to go through certain events at times, you can actually scientifically put together a portfolio which is quite robust and, and, and manages to get through these events quite well. And, and I think that, that that's the key is you're, you're talking about, uh, I mean, I always try and kind of visualize things and say, this is a bit like the tide. So, so you know, you can build a ship that, that, that will deal with high tide and low tide. Uh, and, and, and the aim always is to build a ship that's good enough that it never sinks. It, it, you never get to the point where when the tide goes out, you just you never recover. You, you, your, your investments might go down somewhat, and, th and that's okay. That's normal. But, but at the same time, that you don't lose so much that you can never recover. You, you can never bounce back to, to making money again. And I think for, for me, that's the kind of holy grail of investing is understanding that you know, losses will be there, but losses need to be small. And, and of course, we would like to lose as little as possible, all of us, uh, and, and, and potentially never lose money. But but I don't, I don't think that investment has been invest, uh, invented yet. 
but understanding that uh, you know if the dips are small that the the potential to recover is there and and of course you want to recover as soon as possible uh, do you think that's a fair assessment yeah this is 100% a fair assessment Warren nothing to add <laughs> Sebastian, uh, now we're uh, um, now we're in the world where uh, um, you know if you've got uh, a fruit manufacturing uh, kind of facility or not a packaging facility, you want to add uh, AI to your name because that might uh, make your business more valuable. And so we're in the world of uh, you know uh, everything AI, and and it must be a bit frustrating for a business like you where you've been in the data business for a long time, uh, you know, and and now all of a sudden. Uh, everyone's just going to go and buy a, a formula or, or uh, put an investment theory into uh, algorithm into chat and say, gee, I'm an AI investor now. Uh, how, how do you navigate this? <laughs> Not frustrating at all, Warren. That's actually exciting for us because we do think our time is now. And I can tell you, it's not as easy as you've just put it. You can't just buy a formula. Um, you need to first understand what formulas are out there and how they serve your investment approach. But um, once you have the right set of people and you have this dedicated data science team ingrained into your investment team, you actually are on the forefront to reap those benefits which are becoming available. And, and, and the interesting thing is you don't even have to buy the formula. The formula is available for free. So everything, not everything, but most of the, the stuff we use is actually open source, which really means everybody could use it if you just would have the skills. And that's where the, where the crux lies. So um, fortunately, we can't just buy a formula to make us money because then everybody would have done that and the benefit that the, the edge would be gone. So the edge now really lies on who understands best what's out there in terms of new advanced technologies. Who out there is able to yeah, basically deal with this ever more in information hungry investment approach which which we apply. And and for that you need a specific setup. So no frustration on our side. It's exactly the opposite. Our time is now and we are every day excited about the new opportunities which are becoming available. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you, you, said, you, you mentioned that because I think eventually you've just landed back on the art of investing. Uh, because uh, you know you, you can have big computers and powerful uh, um, programs, but eventually you need a history of of experience. You know, uh, understanding what to choose, what to avoid, uh, and and what tools are good and what tools might be destructive, and then how to use them. Uh, and and eventually that comes down to uh, to to people. It, it's 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 a key point I think in in this whole investment uh, world is that I, I don't think anytime soon. Uh, we, we will just be outsourcing all investment decisions to to really smart uh, programs and, and computers because ultimately uh, the, the, the the judgment of what is best uh, that does rely on on some human interaction as well. Fe feels to me like we're getting to um, kind of like a cyborg world, Bastian, where where you know we need we need machines and humans to be working together to make better and better decisions. But but I don't think the one one grouping can do it entirely on its own. No, I agree with that 100%. It, it, <laughs> I think the cyborg world which we are describing is, un, like it or not, a quite realistic um, example. Uh, partly we are already cyborgs. Very often decisions are smarter made by using tools like ChatGPT. So, um, yeah, integrating uh, the technology out there with us as human beings uh, into our decision making 
that is absolutely key. But for that, you also need the right investment philosophy. So it comes down to the people, exactly as you put it, but also comes down to your philosophy. You need to have a philosophy which allows for innovation and which strives to be on the forefront of using technology. If you don't have that, and if you, uh, yeah, don't want to ever deviate from your old, um, yeah, potentially outdated traditional value investing approach like Graham and Dot did it in the 30s. Nothing wrong with value investing, but you need to adapt and you need to you need to move forward and you need to acknowledge and understand that there's new new tools becoming available and you must never stray away from your philosophy. Always be stay true to what, what you've been doing. But but I guess um, at the same point in time never stop innovating because at that point in time you will yeah, inevitably fall behind quite dramatically. And in our world of investing, where everything becomes ever more efficient, if you fall behind, it means negative alpha, it means negative returns. So you really want to stay ahead of the curve. And that's what we're striving for every day at present. I think that's a perfect place to end it. We're, we're way over time already. Bastian, th thank you so much for your time. It's been a real pleasure having you on the show. Uh, talking about cyborgs and, uh, and, and the like allows me to say, uh, I'm going to end the show and I'll be back. Thank you so much. Brought to you by Prescient Investment Management. Informed by science. Guided by insight. Prescient Investment Management is an authorized FSP. 